Dear Lord God and Father, we approach you always with a certain amount of trepidation. Father, you've given to us the words of life, and we ask you to help us be discerning about what we have. Thank you so much for the opportunities that we are given as a church and as individuals to learn, to grow, to gain maturity and wisdom, and help us, Father, not to have that take a great deal of pain. We pray, Father, also for your grace to show up in our lives because we know that your Son, Christ Jesus, died that we may have life and that eternal. Thank you so much for being with all of us this morning and thank you for being with me as I bring the message to the congregation. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, something that I was assigned and I'm going to admit that freely. I was told this is what I need to talk about. So here's the way we're going to look at it. In 1954, the first of a trilogy of books was published. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a story based loosely on North mythology, Norse mythology and folk tales from Northern Europe. He writes about the travels of nine companions on an epic journey to rid the world of a ring representing evil. Of course, this is a fantasy uh, story, and it's called The Lord of the Rings. Most of you are familiar with this. Uh, it became popular worldwide after it was published and then became a series of movies uh, starting in 2001. The first novel of the series tells the story of the gathering of the company needed to begin the journey. Leaning on his own Christian background, Tolkien creates a group of wildly different characters to take on this quest. And he titled the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring. Like in the Tolkien tale, we too are on an epic journey. It is the journey of our lives. It begins when we are drawn to God through Christ, confess our sins, and are baptized into the faith. Our trek takes place alongside the people in the church, the people we worship with. Today, our quest is to dig into the fellowship of the church. We're going to be pulling from the letter of John, the first letter of John for our scripture. So let's read the whole section I want to look at, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, in context, and then we're going to look specifically at the verses uh, that I want to focus on. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is what we proclaim to you, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and our hands have touched concerning the word of life, and the life was revealed. And we have seen and testified and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father when was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we announce to you too, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet keep on walking in the darkness, we're lying 
and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, the thing to notice, first of all, is how many times in verses 3 through 7 we see fellowship show up. And the fellowship that we see is very interesting. In verse 3, he says, What we have seen and heard, we announce to you too, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So already, we see a fellowship that include, includes not just John, the person who's writing to his readers, but the Trinity as well. He includes God and Jesus in that. And then he does something else with fellowship. The next time he mentions it, he says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet, here's the contrast, keep on walking in darkness, in other words, they have been walking in darkness already, then we are, uh, he calls them liars. We are lying and not practicing the truth. And the next time we see fellowship mentioned in this passage uh, comes up in verse 7. He equates light with God and says, Jesus' blood cleanses us, the church, for fellowship with one another. There is a relationship going on here that is very important. And it's a relationship that fellowship deals very specifically with. So the question is this. What is this fellowship thing that we're supposed to be doing? Because I get the impression we're supposed to be doing it. Well, let's look at the common usage. Uh, any Greek person of the time would have seen or used. Fellowship, and the word, of course, most of you know this already, is koinonia. Fellowship was seen as a business partnership. Two people working together in a business had a koinonia. They had a fellowship in place. In the marriage relationship, you have a sharing of life. It's a koinonia, same kind of thing. And finally, your relationship with your God, and remember the Greeks at that time had a variety, a plethora of gods, so it would have been all kinds of them. That, too, was a koinonia. Generally speaking, then, that process, that koinonia, that fellowship is an intimate relationship into which people voluntarily enter. An intimate relationship into which people voluntarily enter. So how does the Bible use the word koinonia? Fellowship. Well, let's look at some of the translations. Uh, first of all, the translations we have are things like communion. The word fellowship itself sharing in common, and that means sharing with the sense of being participation with and being administering with and contributing to the big sharing. And the first one we're looking at comes out of Acts 2.42. Now, Acts 2.42, we have been repeating over and over 
of the last year or two. And that's all about how when the Holy Spirit came on the first Christians, how they worshipped together. Acts 2.42, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so they all knew, they all knew what they were doing and how they were doing it and what they were doing. Only those who are friends with Christ can really be friends with each other is one of the first things that we see in this sharing that takes place. Jack Van Enns said this, People join churches more because they want warmth than light. Sermons may get them into the church the first time, but what keeps them coming are friendships that foster inward awareness and support. So what I'm doing here is probably not going to get people to stay. It's what you do that will encourage people to stick around. Another aspect of the word koinonia is a practical sharing, and Paul does this at least three times in his writings. But we're going to look in just one place, Romans 15, 25 through 27. He says, But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do this, and indeed, they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are obligated also to minister to them in material things. What he says when he makes the, uh, verse 26, when he says, they are pleased to make some contribution, that word is koanonia, the same word that we see being used for fellowship. The contribution, the thing that they bring, the practical, sharing, giving thing that they do is very much a fellowship event. We see this with Paul uh, the most extensively, three times at least. There's another aspect of fellowship, another aspect, and that comes out in uh, Philippians 1.5, and we see that it's a partnership in Christ's work. Philippians 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. I always pray with joy in my, in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And once again, the word participation in that passage in verse 5 is the word koanonia. So we're seeing a word that's being used in a diverse uh, set of applications and it's actually about a participation in Christ that takes work and in the Christ's work, participation in the work of the gospel. Another aspect, in the faith, in Ephesians 3.9, Ephesians 3.9, I'll start reading in the eighth verse. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And again, we see the word koanonia showing up in an odd place. In verse 9, it says, Paul writes, and to make plain to everyone the koanonia of this mystery. The administration is how the translators have taken this. 
So we see another diverse path that the word has gone and used. And what we're looking at is the idea of the fact that all of these things take place for the betterment of the gospel. And these are not Christians working in isolated situations. In this passage, in this passage, Paul shares with everyone. He is in a believing company working together. And we need to take something away from that. And I think uh, Jean Vanier says that very well. He says, a community is only a community when the majority of its members are making the transition from the community for myself to myself for the community. We're getting into the heart now of the idea of fellowship. What else is fellowship about? What is this koinonia about? Well, it's being in the spirit. And this brings in another aspect. 2 Corinthians 13, 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is how Paul ends 2 Corinthians. And he attaches fellowship now, not with other people, but with the Holy Spirit. It's an expansion of our understanding of what fellowship is. We can't let our idea of fellowship be very narrow because the scripture doesn't let it be narrow. We as Christians, we as servants of God, live in the presence, the company, the help, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul, again, he is prolific about talking about fellowship, and we're going to go to him a couple more times. With Christ, fellowship with Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. After thanking God for the, Christ, for the Corinthians, he reminds them that they are called to the koanonia of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The fellowship that we have in Christ shows up very specifically in the Lord's Supper. It is considered a fellowship or a communion. The same word is being used in that situation. And in that communion, we are invited to not only share in the life, but in the suffering also. And this passage reminds us that in the suffering, as well as in the life, we have access to the Son. We are in fellowship with him. And it's a beautiful thing. William Barclay makes the point, to see what God is like, we must look at Jesus. He perfectly represents God to men in a form which they can see and know and understand. If we want to see God, we have to have fellowship with Jesus. It's not optional. And finally, the last passage we're going to look at goes back to our source passage. Having fellowship involves having and being in fellowship with God as well. 1 John 1 Verse 3, which we already talked about. But remember, in that passage, there is a condition involved. And the condition is that if we decide to walk in darkness, we've broken that fellowship bond. 
And so we have to make some choices. If you want to look at the big picture, what would we call this koinonia thing? Koinonia is the glue that binds Christians to each other, to Christ, and to God. It is that thing with all its diversity, with all its meaning. So what does it look like to live in fellowship? I mean, so far we've talked about biblical aspects of it, but we've not really applied it to much of anything. In order to understand, I think, what it means to live in fellowship, we almost have to look at what it means to fail in fellowship. I'm going to turn to William Barclay again because he just said it so well. William Barclay was a Scottish minister and teacher from uh, generations ago. And I, I have a book called The Mind of Jesus. And it's from here that I'm going to quote this. It says, Sin is failure in fellowship with men. It is a separation where there should be togetherness. And the seriousness of such failure in fellowship with men is that it causes a breach not only between man and man, but also between man and God. No man can be at peace with God when he is not at peace with men. It is Jesus' instruction that if a man is bringing a gift to the altar, and if he remembers as he's bringing it, that there is an unhealed breach between himself and a fellow man, he must leave the gift, go away, and mend the breach, and only then come back and offer the gift. For only then will it be acceptable to God. A man must be in fellowship with men before he can find the fellowship of God. Now, as you heard in that passage, William Barclay was one of those guys that said, when he said men, he meant everyone. And that was the way they wrote in that time. So what does it look like to live in fellowship for us today? Well, it means this. It means having a sense of sharing yourself in friendship, a practical sharing, a giving, a partnership in Christ's work, in other words, handing out the gospel in some form. It means recognizing there needs to be a fellowship in faith, that we talk and speak and pray in the same sort, in the spirit, with Christ, with God, all of these things are involved in the big picture of all that. There's another way, though, that we can also express fellowship beyond. The collage that you see is different people, mostly in our congregation, being in fellowship. It's the things that we do outside worship itself. It is the things and times when we get together. And it sometimes can be action but not always. I do want to talk about two specific things uh, that I think are great ideas and concepts of fellowship in action. First of all is when uh, a bunch of us went out to visit the Heralds. We had the opportunity to plant 50 trees in the course of a day. It took a few hours. There were so many of us that it only took a few hours. Individually, if we weren't acting as a fellowship, 
We're looking at days, probably. It's a long time. But we got together and shared and did something. The second example I have is one that took place yesterday. I had the opportunity to go to the Willamette Valley men's event, shared it with a couple of, or three of us, four of us went all together. And uh, after the seminar itself, uh, some of us hardy fools went out and played nine holes of golf. It was a great time. Um, And we played in what's called a scramble or a best ball format. And what that means is this. Four of you go, you hit, and whoever hits best, that's where the next hit is from. That's where the next stroke comes from. So, you have four individuals, four unique types of swings, four levels of experience, all reaching the same goal. And I think we scored the best that I've ever scored (laughs) in my career because we took the best of the best. The four of us working together did something that individually I would not have been part of. And it was wonderful. And it was a beautiful day out too. And another four, just to add to the fours, I made four new friends. Uh, I met John, his grandson Chase, a minister named Matt, and Garrett. Now, it sounds like if there were four of us, how did this fifth name get in there? Well, Garrett was walking. He just walked along because he'd never done this before and he wasn't ready. So I made four new friends. Wonderful thing. But I want to tell you something else. We've looked at the action aspects of what fellowship can and should be in our lives, but there's other elements too. Sometimes being with people is not all it's about. At times, we are called to fellowship with God uniquely and specifically. And that means that we have to do something that we don't like to do. Let's go to Psalm 46, verse 10. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I like the uh, contemporary English version. It's, it's not a uh, translation. It's a uh, transliteration of some sort. It's not quite as accurate, but boy, it says it well. It says, our God says, calm down and learn that I am God. All nations on earth will honor me. Yeah, sometimes to be in fellowship with God, we need to calm down. We need to stop. We need to listen. But it's not just God that calls us to calm down, to stop, and to listen. Our fellowship with each other also needs that characteristic. Koanonia is about the practice of being together. And if you're aware, if you understand what being in a practice means, what it means, it's something that you probably never get 
totally right, but it's something that you do and you do and you do and you get better. It takes time. It's not always easy for us to be together, to be in fellowship. But sometimes we make easy hard. And that comes from the speaker's friend, Billy, uh, yesterday. He has a friend who says, sometimes we make easy hard. And we do, don't we? We avoid sometimes the thing that can help us the most. And in order to avoid it, we go through difficult times. Well, let's talk a little more about this whole fellowship thing. Ronald Sider, for the early Christians, koinonia was not the frilly fellowship of church-sponsored bi-weekly outings. It was not tea, biscuits, and sophisticated small talk in the fellowship hall after the sermon. It was an unconditional sharing of their lives with the other members of Christ's body. We have to recognize koinonia for what it is. It is an offer to live according to God's call, to drop self for the benefit of the whole. We use words sometimes like being authentic Christians or we are called to be real. What that should be to us is a call to dig deeply into your relationship with God and with the church family now where we are. It's a call to fellowship vertically and to fellowship horizontally. So, here we are at the end of all things. It's not the end of our journey, but we do need to make some decisions. Quite frankly, this year has been difficult. It's last year. We've learned what it is to have our traditional fellowship taken away for a time. Oh, we learned to work around it. And I think we grew to appreciate koinonia was part of our health. But here's what you don't read about. You don't read about Paul's solitary trek across Macedonia to meet one or two people. He moves with a group to establish churches, other groups. He writes letters to churches and individuals, and he expects them to be read in fellowship. We don't have any letters of Paul writing directly to someone else that made it into the Bible. All of these are meant for all of us. That's how God works. Peter doesn't fumble around for the first 30 years of his life and then hide out in solitude so no one can find out of all the mistakes he made. What does he do instead? He publishes. Everyone knows and can learn from his mistakes. He shares his mistakes so we can grow. 
Robert, if you want to come on up. I have just a couple of final thoughts. My final example comes out of the seminar that was done yesterday. And I got to tell you, he did it so well that I'm going to just rip it off as best I can. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you go on down to verse 26, something else comes up. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and in the and in the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. God, the creator of all things, identifies as us. He identifies himself as the collective us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Scripture continually bears out that relationship over and over again, Old and New Testament. The creators of the heavens and the earth is in fellowship at all times, three in one. And we see this unity in plurality. Unity in plurality. Jesus very specifically talks about this in John chapter 17 in his prayer. And I'm going to read just three verses out of that because it is so explicit. I am not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony, that they will all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that plurality again. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you gave to me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, plurality. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. We are on an epic journey. It is the journey of our lives. Do you trust the God of the Word? If so, then be in koinonia with the church, your travelers, as the Word says we are to do. Well, if you have a need, if you have a prayer request, questions about your faith or Christianity in general, concerns about baptism, concerns about something you'd like to share with, share with the church, or would simply like to pray, now is a good time to let us know about that. You can come and talk with me this morning as we stand to sing the invitation song.